this past uh, week was crazy weather-wise. It was, um, as you heard, I guess last Sunday we were talking a little bit about the storms that came um, in the morning and then later that evening and then Tuesday there were storms and then Thursday uh, we had a storm that took place during the time we were having our Highland Blessing dinner. And uh, there was rain in the forecast, but no one really figured it would be too bad. And so I think as we were trying to get our Highland Blessing meal together and thinking through, uh, as we always do, what's, it, what's the crowd going to be like tonight? And sometimes in the winter months, we figure if it's too cold and too dark, then our attendance will go down for that particular evening. And, uh, but no one was really thinking anything, uh, you know, it would be too odd for this particular Thursday night. And so people were gathering in as they do. They uh, come up here at 5.30 and uh, get their ticket. And we, as you know, we can only do 125 plates of food. And so everybody needs a ticket. So they come and get a ticket. And they come in through the chapel doors and they have a seat up here. And we've been doing this long enough to where people tend to know to sit in rows of seven. So... Uh, seven people can sit at a table with a table host. And so they were all gathered here, and there was some good conversation, I think, going on, and uh, some people who were just sitting there. And uh, about, I don't know, 5.45 or so, uh, the lights go out. And you can tell, I mean, we have some light coming in today from, uh, from the windows back here, but Thursday night, as it was starting to rain and get dark outside, it was getting darker and darker in here. But once the lights went out, it was really uncomfortable. Because most of the people coming are, some of them know each other, and some of them just know each other from coming to the meal, but others don't know each other. And we have really a great diversity of people who come to the meal. And so people not knowing each other and, and all that is a little bit awkward. And sitting in the chapel is a bit awkward in the dark. Now, I do it all the time um, because I'm a little bit odd anyway. But for them just to sit here, it was, it was strange. And so there were some of us who were gathered at the back, and we had volunteers at the front, at least 25 volunteers that were here trying to get the meal ready. And you can imagine what it was like in the kitchen. You're cooking food and you're trying to get everything ready last minute and the electricity goes off. It's not just the lights, it's the oven, it's the dishwasher, everything is out. And there's not a whole lot of light back there either. And then the volunteers are back getting ready for their uh, volunteer orientation meeting and they're back in a room somewhere in the middle of the building and so they're without light. We had people who were in the restrooms uh, who were without light, and there certainly aren't any windows in there either. So we were in a bit of a, a panic mode thinking, okay, we don't have what we need to be able to uh, bring light. I mean, obviously, and there were jokes going around about not paying the bill and, you know, all of that. Uh, the emergency lights didn't come on in the hallways, and so it just created a bit of a dilemma. And then I remembered, okay, we have three candles at least up here, so uh, we got these candles and found a lighter and then remembered that we had candles stowed away in the closet, thanks to Candy Flint, uh, who uh, keeps us with all of our candles and, and the uh, uh, Advent season and other months, we use a whole lot of candles. So we went in there and got those and some folks from the kitchen came over and got those and started putting them out. You can see here... It looks quite romantic, doesn't it? <laughs> it wasn't a romantic moment, I can tell you. And you'll notice on the table there are some red candles. Now that is autumn breeze. Uh, so it smelled like fall around here. We were having a great fall evening uh, with our autumn breeze candles. And we were able to make everything happen. And uh, we, just, we didn't have much to work with. No flashlights, 
we're going to buy all those things, but no flashlights or really not a whole lot of good light. But with everybody working together, we were able to, to piece things together. And, and as I was thinking about our text for this week, actually two texts, the, the first Kings passage that you just heard, but also the one Larry read earlier from Luke chapter 7. Those had been in my mind and, and hopefully getting down into my heart this past week. And so I've been thinking about those and, and I just kind of thought about what it is to go without. What it means to, to have really nothing. And you have this great need and this great problem or this, uh, this crisis that's before you and you really don't even have enough to be able to come at that. You, you, you don't have the supplies that you need. And the woman that's in this text today, this is kind of a, an odd scripture text. I always love it when it comes up in a vacation Bible school setting. Uh, anything about Elijah gets a little bit unusual, doesn't it? And we find in 1 Kings, and we can look back in, in, in chapters 15 and 16 and kind of work our way up. Uh, last week, we were in the chapter ahead of this where Elijah calls down fire. He's challenging the prophets of Baal. He says, y'all get your fire over there and... We'll get our, I'll get my fire over here, and this, I'll ask my God to light this fire. And you light, if you think you're, you have a God and your God can hear your prayers, you ask him to light your fire. And so they go back and forth, and Elijah dumps water all over his fire and, and calls down fire from heaven. God lights the fire. Well, before that, uh, we see this story of Elijah who is called to go outside of Israel. God says, I want you to go to Zarephath, and I want you to go there, and you will find this widow, this woman, who is there outside the gate. And so Elijah, you get the sense he really doesn't ever want to do what God wants him to do. I mean, he, he kind of, like all the other prophets, they, they know that God toys with them, that, that God is always calling them to do these really difficult things, and sometimes, like Jeremiah, to say things that are just really strange, and, and, or even eat scripture. I mean, all, all of these things prophets have to do, but Elijah doesn't. He goes out to Zarephath, he goes outside of his territory, he goes to where this woman is. And you, you read here about the woman who has nothing. There is a drought in the land. It's been going on for several years. And if you read a chapter before this, you realize that it's, it's really Elijah's fault. Because the, the God that these prophets and others are worshiping, and like this woman in Zarephath, what she would have been worshiping is Baal. And Baal is the God of the crops. Baal is the God who can make you know, rain come, and he can also destroy your crops. And so uh, here comes Elijah into the midst of all of this and says, I'm just going to make it quit raining. And we'll see whose God is really the God, the God who makes it rain. But in the midst of all of this, there is Elijah going to this woman. She has nothing. She has lost her husband. We don't have any idea about when this took place, but she is a widow, and she's a pretty young widow. They have a, a young child. So she's out there gathering some sticks, and she has a little bit of oil in her jug, and she has a few morsels of bread. And so what does Elijah do? He comes up and says, hey, could you give me a drink of water? I mean, there's a drought, and he's the one that caused it. And he's asking this woman for water. And then he asks her for a little bit of bread. And she just looks at him, and I'm sure thinks, you are crazy. You are asking me. 
And, and obviously you can see I have no other support. I have a, a young son over here. You want me to be able to give you something? No, no. I am going to gather the rest of my sticks. I'm going to get the little jug that I have of oil and the morsels of bread. And I'm going to go home and we're going to bake a loaf of bread. And we're going to die. Because that's it. That's all I have. I am at the end of my rope. I have nothing else to be able to live on. That's quite depressing, isn't it? And what we see is that Elijah emerges in, into this as a compassionate kind of person. And he speaks the word of God to her. And he says, well, things are going to be okay. And, and I'm paraphrasing this a little bit. But things are going to be okay if you will take that jug and you'll take uh, those morsels of bread. And, and we're going we're to go back to your house and you're going to be able to eat on that from now on. And they do. She has enough faith and uh, endurance and, and trust to do this. And so they go back home, and you get the sense that Elijah's kind of bumming off of her. And, you know, uh, he's used to ravens feeding him, and now here's uh, this widow who is providing his food and sustenance. And so this is a way for them to be able to continue and to survive. So things go well. They're able to eat. And then she comes back to Elijah and says, something else has gone wrong. My son is not breathing anymore. And she begins to get really angry at him. And remember, she has a different God. Her God is the kind of God that does terrible things to you. Sometimes, for no reason at all, he'll just meddle in your life and mess things up. And so she's thinking, because Elijah is here bringing his God and meddling in her life as well, that this is the reason her son has died. So Elijah says, where is he? And he takes the, the son, goes up to a room, and gets really angry with God you get the sense he's stumbling in the dark as well. He is mad at God. God, how could you let this happen? How could you allow this woman and whatever it is that has happened in her life cause the death of her son? Why? Anytime there's a death of a child, there is that question. Because it makes no sense. And here he is, arguing with God and pleading with God. So he, he lies down on top of the the child, and, and, and back in their culture, this was a way of being able to detect if there's any breath coming out or if there's any pulse, any blood that's flowing through the veins. But I think here more than ever, it is a way of providing covering in a prophetic, almost a priestly kind of way for, for him to be a conduit of God's healing power into the life of that child. And so that's what takes place. He falls down on that child three times. And the child comes back life. Life comes back into this child and there is a bit of light that comes into that room. And the lady says, wow, your God must be real. You, you are a prophet. And you see that this continues on in Elijah's life. Uh, but the, there is this gathering of the little that they have to make something actually happen. God enters into the little to bring something that is quite big. The story of Jesus at Nain is, is also a story that really parallels closely with this. And uh, as Larry read it earlier, you, you probably heard some of those uh, parallels. Uh, soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd, they went along with him. And as they were going along, as he approached the town gate, a dead person had been carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. 
And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. So there is this compassion that we don't see necessarily with Elijah. It is the compassion of God coming through Christ into this child. He went up, he touched the bier or the casket they were carrying, and the bearer stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave, gave him back to his mother. Another instance of where there's very little that this woman, this widow, has to work with. She is carrying her grief out the gates of the city. And she is carrying her only hope. And if you are a widow and you have uh, no child, then you really have no one to take care of you. Especially being this young. There's no one who's going to stand in and care for you. And so she is fully in grief. And as she... Uh, as Jesus comes up to the casket, he brings life out. I wonder if you know what it feels like to be at the end of your rope. I mean, is there any way at all that you can identify with this woman who is out gathering up sticks or this woman who is carrying her child out to the gates of the city? Does this register in any way? The title of the sermon uh, at least the one, the, I change them throughout the week. I just try to give Saber something to go on. And uh, I, I like to change it by the time I get here. Because I think, ah, no, this will fit a little bit better. But one of the titles I floated out there somewhere was, When All You Have Left Is a Prayer. Sometimes we get so poor in our spirit or poor financially or poor relationally that all we have left is a prayer. Have you been there? Because I'm not seeing any nods. Have you been there? I think we all have been there in different ways and at different times. I mentioned last week about when Jenny and I were in Jackson, Mississippi, and when we were with, with our daughter, and we had, we had nothing. We, we were completely empty, physically, spiritually, Emotionally, mentally, in, in every way you can think of. And the only thing that was sustaining us was what God was doing through the prayers of people. People that we began to hear from who were praying all over the state, all over the nation, and prayers from around the world. People who were lifting us up in prayer and lifting our daughter up in prayer. i got to tell you, I was at the end of my rope. I was a lot like Elijah, and still am in many ways. Why? God, this makes no sense. Why would you allow it to happen? But when we get to that point of praying out of our poverty, we discover that we're like the woman who just has gathered a few sticks. And you can just imagine her going around trying to find a few sticks to be able to light a fire with. I mean, everybody else had gathered sticks. It was a drought. And when we get to that point, we find out that God can take even what is so small and begin to do something with it. What are the sticks in your life right now? I mean, what, what are the things that you're, that you're left with, that you've gathered? We find that we, we get there so easily. Things can change in a day, can't they? You could be sitting and having a conversation with someone, and the lights go out. It's hard to see. It's hard to feel secure. 
It's hard to know where you're going and who you're going with. And we find ourselves there so often. And just when we think that we're doing fine, life can throw us something else that, that leads us back out there. And I'm sure that was true for this woman. Probably had a, a somewhat happy relationship with her husband. Things were fine with her family and everything changes. So what do we do in the midst of all of that? How is it that we can move forward when our well is on empty? When there's a drought in our land, when things are not coming in as they once were, when funds aren't there, when, when uh, in our relationships, when things aren't as good as they ought to be, or uh, when we are dealing with issues that are going on in our community or in our neighborhood, and certainly we can feel this citywide as we think about health care and some of the poverty that we feel there and some that we project, uh, those issues that are going to come up for us here even in our own neighborhood and community. And we feel those in our families and we feel them in our churches and our organizations and in our workplaces. How do we deal with all of that? Well, again, I think we take the little that we have and we go on faith and we trust that God is going to continue to provide even with the little morsel of bread that we have, even with a little tiny prayer. As Anne Lamott says uh, in, in some of her writings that the, the very best prayer of all is help. Just one word, help. God can do a lot with that one little word. But I think it's also as we understand that we are called to be Elijah's of today, that God has called you and he has called me to be his prophets in this world, to be the bearers of his word, and, and to be able to say to other people that if you'll just take this and go, you will find that God is going to continue to renew this within you. God is going to continue to go with you, and even when things don't make any sense, God will be with you. We stumble in the dark at times too, don't we? I mean, as we say that to other people, as we're supposed to uphold other people and their problems and their challenges, we struggle. Or let me just say, I do sometimes, too. Well, my hope is that God will go with you. My hope is that you will find God's strength and his comfort in the midst of all this. And I have faith that he will. But we, as we stumble in the dark with our faith, and with our challenges and with our struggles, what we end up doing is creating enough light to be able to get around the room and to be able to continue on living. And then all of a sudden, just like what happened with Jesus as he was putting his hand upon the casket, the light comes on. And that's what happened the other day, Thursday night, as we were all sitting in the gym and the darkness, with a little bit of light, the light came on. May the same be true with you in your life. The darkness isn't going to last forever. The light has come. Let's pray. God, we recognize today that we are not you, we don't have all the answers, but we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is the perfect light, the one who understands you perfectly and 
reveals perfectly to us. Help us as we continue on in our, our days and challenges throughout this life that we would know what it means for you to shine your light upon us. We give you thanks in the name of Jesus.